0: Hey, everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you rock, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs free to residents. ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aos.org. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. So um, can pediatric pelvis fractures be missed on an AP pelvis? <laughs> uh
1: yes, they can um, because of the vast amount of uh cartilage still remaining in a pediatric pelvis um if you're not used to seeing pediatric pelvic x-rays like many, ER physicians and even just general surgery trauma physicians are, they don't really pay attention to that stuff. And they may look and say, oh, that looks, that looks just like every other pediatric pelvis I've ever seen. And uh, they're missing, uh, they can miss up to two, three centimeter displacement in a pediatric pelvis uh, fracture. And so um, these are things that you definitely want to, Uh, Get a CT on and up to 50% of them are identified on a CT scan rather than on an AP pelvis. So have a low threshold for for a CT if there's concern about a pelvis injury. And what are some of the operative indications for pelvic fractures in a pediatric patient?
0: Yeah, so these are going to be vertically unstable um, pelvic fractures. So classically, they may show you an outlet and you may see one hemipelvis um, superiorly displaced compared to the other. Um, any displaced acetabular fractures greater than two millimeters. Uh, pelvic ring fractures with greater than two centimeters of displacement. And also any kid that you need to control uh, control their bleeding. Um, so, so they're losing a lot of blood. Um, and it's coming from the pelvis, and you may need to control that. So that would be an operative indication for a pelvis fracture in the pediatric patient. Um, and so again, we're going to basically cover the operative things. If, if, so if you know the operative things, and everything else is going to be non-operative for the most part. So you should be able to answer that on, on a on a test question. Now, I've seen a bunch of questions on this next topic and I think we had like two or three on our OIT last year just on this alone. Um but what are the the pelvis uh pelvic avulsion fracture areas and the associated muscle?
1: Uh yeah, I was uh, going to say that this is a this is a thing that they love to treat because it's it's or love to test because it's easy to test. It's um It's a really, it's an anatomy based question, not all of these need surgery, but they'll show you an AP pelvis, and you have to identify where the avulsion fracture is, and the muscle uh, that's attached to that fracture fragment so iliac crest is the abdominal muscles, they won't ask you to determine if it was the internal versus external oblique but just know abdominal muscles for the iliac crest. And if there's an avulsion fracture off of the pubic symphysis, that's going to be rectus abdominis. Um, The ASIS, anterior superior iliac spine, is where the sartorius uh, originates. The AIIS, the anterior inferior iliac spine, uh, is uh, rectus femoris. Uh, The ischium is the hamstring's uh, origin. The lesser trochanter is the iliopsoas, and most often these are treated non-operatively, but if there is greater than two centimeters of displacement, uh, you can consider an open reduction with uh, fixation, either with screws or pins, uh, to reduce these fragments, Um, then we go to the uh, pediatric hip. What is the classification system and uh, what's the kind of different types of that system?
0: Yeah. And this is another one. I I, I didn't know whether or not I was going to include it, but I saw it in like three or four different sources as well. I was like, dang, okay, I guess we need to know this. Um, so this is going to be the Delbert um, classification. So it has uh, four different types to try for. So type one is going to be a trans epiphyseal uh, or you can also have an epiphyseal dislocation. So again, we're talking about like pediatric hip fracture. So it's at the ephysis, it's going right through the aphyseis. And you can also have a dislocation of the actual epiphysis as well, uh, which would suck, which is bad. Um, so type two is going to be trans cervical, which is going to be most common. And again, if you think of the, these areas, these are similar to some of the other areas that we we're talking about when we talked about the adult hip. Um, type three is going to be basy cervical and type four is going to be intertrochanteric. So again, type one is trans Two is transcervical, which is most common. Type three is basy cervical and type four is intertrochanteric. So what is the typical treatment option for a pediatric hip fracture?
1: Uh, just like adults, these are uh, treated with surgery. Um, you can have different fixation tip techniques depending on kind of what's going on. Um, for these type 1s with the trans-epiphyseal uh, or epiphyseal dislocation, um, you can do K-wire fixation, uh, cannulated screws, a pediatric hip screw. Um, for the type 4 uh, kind of intertrochanteric, you can always do a proximal femur locking plate or a blade plate. Um, you, you basically, uh, if you don't have to, You don't want to extend your fixation across the physis. There's not a lot of growth that happens at the uh, proximal femur physis, but if you can avoid it, you want to stop your screws short of that and remove your screws once uh, healing has occurred. Um, And then anatomic reduction is the most important. You want to make sure that these proximal... uh, femur fractures and, and hip fractures are anatomically reduced uh, to give them the best chance at healing and to give them the best chance at uh, preventing uh, deformity as they get older because uh, of that same fact that the the proximal uh, femur physis does not contribute a lot of the growth. And so if there is deformity, at that proximal femur, it's remodeling potential is far less than the distal femur and uh, any residual deformity is going to then result in um, eventual uh, deformity as an adult and potentially change their hip biomechanics, put them at a higher risk of uh, either future fracture or hip arthritis and all of that stuff. So definitely wanna make sure that they are anatomic. And what are some of the complications after a pediatric hip fracture?
0: Yeah. So this is going to be things like osteonecrosis, coxa vera, uh, and non-union. You typically see these more when these are treated non-operatively, which is uh, more on the rarer side, but again, coxavera and non-union are associated with non-operative treatment and as well as leg length discrepancy. Um, so that's one of the complications seen in pediatric hip fractures. Now, what is the blood supply to the pediatric femoral head?
1: the pediatric femoral head so if they are younger than 4 years old they have both the medial and the lateral uh femoral vessels um, you can also get some of the uh uh blood supply through the um the ligamentum teres uh in the in the hip uh, but after 4 years old it typically goes to the standard um adult-type blood supply with the uh, medial femoral circumflex via the retinacular uh, branches. And that's why the uh, pediatric hip fractures are at such high risk for that osteonecrosis that you were talking about is because there's disruption of those retinacular branches uh, uh, from the medial femoral circumflex. And so what are some of the indications and treatment options for
0: uh, pediatric uh, femur fractures. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS part one exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the resident orthopedic core knowledge program. Rock is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access rock content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. Yeah. So this is going to be like really based on age and after a certain amount of age, it can be based on weight a little bit. So if you're, um, if you are less than six years old, um, from zero to six months of age, you're thinking a spike, cast and, uh, from, uh, I'm sorry, a Pavlik harness and from six months to five years of age, you're thinking a spike, cast, um, and so the thing with spica casting is you can do a double leg spica cast where two legs are in spica cast or a single leg spica cast where the fractured um, leg is in the spica cast. And so single leg spica casts are associated with um, good parent satisfaction compared with a double leg spica cast. If you think about it, you you know, you're just this is a little bit less to take care of um, the only Relative contraindications for using a spica cast in a pediatric femur fracture is shortening greater than three centimeters. And one of the other things that I've seen asked is that when you're applying, like this more goes into the technical aspects of applying a spica cast, uh, you need to be careful. And when you're, if you are doing a technique where you apply the short leg portion first, um, so some people will apply the short leg per- portion of the spica cast first and then pull some traction with that and then finish the rest of the spica cast. But uh, this is being associated, uh, with compartment syndrome. Cause again, you're like pulling and compressing the air right where the popliteal fossa is. So, um, that may be one of those tech questions or things that you need to, uh, be on the lookout for now. So that was non-operative treatment. So again, we talked about pelvic harness for, um, uh, patients that are less than six months old we talk about spica casting for those that are between six months and somewhere around five years old um, single leg spica casting that is uh, now where are the indication and treatment options for operative treatment of a pediatric femur fracture
1: uh, just like you were talking about before with the uh, with the kind of weight-based um, uh, treatment algorithm um, same thing applies for operative treatment so Things like uh, flexible uh, IM nails. Um, Those are typically reserved for the five to 11 year olds. Um, You want to achieve approximately 80% of canal fill. And it's harder to control comminuted fractures or very distal fractures, uh, but you still can use them in these instances. You may just have to um, augment your fixation in uh, various ways, but, um, typically you want to, um, uh, reserve the, uh, flexible nails for kids that I believe are under a hundred pounds or approximately 50 kilos. Um, but, uh, you then can, uh, do like a more adult, anagrade femoral nail for the ages like 8 to 10 or weight greater than uh, 50 kilos. And you want to try a lateral uh, entry nail just because you want to preserve the blood supply. And there's a theoretical disruption of blood supply with the piriformis entry. Um, you can also try submuscular plating uh, for comminuted or length unstable fractures. Um, the complications from the submuscular plating is uh refracture after removal because you're putting a lot of holes in the side of the bone from the screws um and then you can also get distal femur uh valgus deformity and then um if you do an open plate versus an x fix um that's more like a the x fix is more of like a damage control type of situation with eventual uh fixation uh, underneath the skin once the patient is stabilized and then Open plating uh, for either open injuries, um, ballistic injuries, uh, very comminuted injuries that require uh, maybe something a little bit more aggressive. Uh, Again, they're not going to test you on the outliers in this instance. They're really going to say like, hey, you got a seven-year-old patient who is uh, 40 kilos. What's the treatment? And you're going to choose flexible Intermedullary nails rather than a standard adult type and a grade femoral nail. That's what they're going to really test you on there. And so just understand that there's a weight limit for the flexible nails, but you can also treat these via plate and XFIX if needed. And so when we move down to the distal femur metaphysis, what are some of the indications for operative treatment there?
0: Yeah, Susan, many displaced fractures, really. um So For a displaced fracture, you want to treat them with a closed reduction and then add some type of fixation. You ideally try not uh, to cross the physis if you can. Um, And so fixation option would be closed reduction, fixation with a transverse lag screw. Again, this is going to be above the physis because this is a metaphyseal region. Um, So you're going to fix this with a transverse lag screw to avoid the physis. If you just so happen to need to use smooth pins, you can use smooth pins also. Um, some people do that in an anti-grade fashion, and they will leave the pins um, uh, a little proud. That way, they can remove them, and that way, they don't uh, they don't go intraarticular, and because that could give you a um, that could uh, put you at an increased risk for septic arthritis. And a uh, complication noted with these distal uh, femur metaphyseal fractures is uh, malunion. Um, So that's, again, that's a metaphyseal fracture of the distal femur. Uh, What are the indications for operative treatment of a distal femur physio fracture?
1: Yeah, like I alluded to before, the distal femur physis is very undulating. And so um, you want an anatomic reduction of these uh, fractures. And so if they are displaced, um, you want to do your best to get an anatomic reduction um, if they are non-displaced, these Salter-Harris ones and twos can be treated non-operatively. But that's uh, not to say that you're not going to put them into a very long leg cast. And what I mean by very long leg is uh, the the long leg cast for the treatment of like tibia shaft fractures. I mean, you're probably just going to go up halfway on the on the thigh when you want to stabilize the distal femur, that long leg cast has to go really high up into their crotch so that you get good uh, stabilization proximally and distally. Um, But for the ones that are displaced, you can try a closed, but most likely going to need an open reduction. And like you said, smooth K wires, if you have to cross the physis, because you don't want the uh, threaded screw to uh, cause any either further injury to the physis or stop the physis from growing on either the medial or lateral side. Um, the complications from this is typically uh growth arrest uh, and limb length discrepancy. Um, the growth arrest, if it happens on one side of the femur, then you may have to Perform things like guided growth down the road, uh, so that they don't overgrow one side of the femur versus the other. And you may have to either consider a uh, epiphysiodesis of the contralateral distal femur so that they don't develop a significant limb length discrepancy, or uh, down the road you notify the patient and the parents that they will have an eventual leg length discrepancy, and that that patient may ultimately decide to do a kind of a limb lengthening procedure with like a uh, one of those limb lengthening nails for the short side if they don't want to lose a lot of their growth. So um, again, they're they're not going to test you on that sort of stuff. That's just more like kind of real life discussions that you're going to have with the patients and their families, because if it's a young patient, if it's an eight-year-old patient, you don't want to stop that patient's contralateral femur from growing because they will be significantly shorter than they otherwise would have been so that may be a patient where you just you tell them that their leg's going to be short for a bit and then once they get to a certain age you can lengthen their other side or send them to a a limb lengthening kind of specialist to to evaluate them and lengthen their other side but uh, going on to the patella what's the most common type of patella fracture in children
0: yeah, so this is going to be the patella sleeve fracture. And how I've seen this in questions is, you know, they'll, they would have had, you know, some traumatic event, they'll have an extension lag, or they won't be able to, uh, you know, fully extend their knee. And so this patella sleeve fracture, uh, what this is, is you actually have a chondral sleeve of the patella separates from the main portion of the patella. So the only clue that sometimes you may get is on the lateral x You may just see patella alta. So if you see patella alta in a kid who cannot um, straighten his leg, you have to think patella sleeve fracture. And uh, and the treatment for for this, uh, if they're non-displaced fractures without extensor lag, uh, you treat these non-operatively. Which I don't think they'll ask that. I think they'll probably show you a displaced <laughs> a displaced patella sleeve fracture, um, uh, which you would fix with operative fixation. So again, any displacement greater than two millimeters. Uh, fixed with operative fixation. Now, uh, continuing down the leg, uh, what is the treatment of, actually, I wanted to mention earlier, uh, when we're talking about our pediatric femur fractures, if you want some more uh, deeper dive into that, we have an episode with Dr. Uh, Heffernan, uh, Michael Heffernan, actually, one of my staff, uh, previous staff here at Children's, uh, where he talked about that in in depth. And um, continuing forth, so what is the treatment of a displaced uh, tibial tubercle fracture?
1: Um, So for the tibial tubercles, um, you're going to do an ORIF with screws or suture reattachment. Um, The complications with this, this is what's going to be tested most likely is um, what is, they're going to show you displaced uh, tibial tubercle fracture. And they're either going to say, what is the main complication with this fracture? Or what is the uh, blood vessel Responsible for compartment syndrome in this patient. And uh, that's going to be the recurrent anterior tibial artery. Um, and then the uh, other complications that you can get from this are genu uh, recurvatum, because the tibial tubercle is that anterior physis. And if that physis stops growing, the posterior portion of the proximal tibia will still keep growing and it will develop this recurvatum deformity. So um, uh, another part of the proximal tibia, what is the treatment of a displaced tibial spine fracture?
0: Yeah, I didn't realize I skipped that. Um, yeah, so this is going to be, um, you know, they'll show you an x-ray, you'll show you an AP, you look at the knee and you'll see it displaced uh, to your spinal, you'll see it on the lateral. Um, and, and then they'll show you, or they'll talk about you know, their physical exam and how it's similar, they'll have a positive Lachman exam. And so with these, you want to treat with um, ORIF or arthroscopic reduction Uh, One of the test questions I've seen is uh, what soft tissue is entrapped when you have these displaced tibial spine fractures? And I think most commonly, it's the anterior horn of the medial meniscus. So there are other soft tissues that can be entrapped, but I think that's the most common one um, out of a study. Um, The physical exam, like I said, will be similar to a ligamentous injury. Um, The non-displaced or the reducible fractures sometimes can be treated non-operatively, but Um, If you can't, you know, ideally, if they are displaced um, or not reducible, you you treat those operatively. Any complications, if you think about it, you operate on a knee, they can get stiff. So complications include arthrofibrosis. Uh, They can get some ACL laxity, uh, which may or may not be clinically significant. And you can also get a malunion with impingement. So whenever they try to uh, straighten their knee out, they could get some impingement um, of the ACL and this in this old uh, fracture on the notch and so you 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 talked about the tibial tubercle fractures uh, actually if you want to read more in depth I think I actually put a, published a paper on it a couple of years ago uh, talking about the epidemiology diagnosis and measurement of tibial tubercle avulsion fractures in adolescence uh, uh, in JBJS reviews in 2020 uh, with myself as the author and Dr. Mulkey as the uh, senior author